God tells us that His ways are not our ways, and they are past finding out. But He does leave trails here and there. We'll take a look at those breadcrumbs next, here on Graceful Truth. Hi there. Welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We're continuing our series called No One Like God, and today we key in on the amazing ways of God, His examples of untraceable footprints, and the fact that He is beyond finding out. And yet in the midst of this greatness, He still condescends to us to reveal what He believes we can handle. Join us for a marvelous look at God's amazing ways in our series, No One Like God. With today's broadcast, here now is our teacher and pastor, once again, Pastor Steve Converse. But we're in this little mini-series in Romans chapter 11, No One Like God. Last week we looked at the knowledge of God, but I just want to read for us our text here for this morning, Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. This is kind of a doxology at the end of Romans chapter 11. And Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, Paul's been outlining for us here how God sovereignly works in and through his people and throughout history and how he designed and controlled salvation throughout history. And there has been a long period of time from Abraham to Christ where he permitted the Gentile nations to go their own way while he revealed himself mainly to the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, his chosen people. But then the Jews rejected their Messiah, as we know the story all too well, and God brought a partial kind of timeout, a hardening on them. And in many ways, that time of hardening even goes all the way back to the time of Moses. But it was even intensified more when they crucified their Savior, their Messiah, the sinless Son of God. At that point, while preserving, saving a remnant of Jews, Paul was one of them, uh, God opened the door for his mercy, his grace to the Gentile nations. The original plan was so God would take the Jewish nation and give them truth, and they would share it with those who've yet to hear the truth, but they didn't do that. They hoarded it to themselves. So God says, fine, I'll take it to them myself. And so he used someone like Paul, who was a Jew, by the way, to reach out to the Gentiles with the gospel message. And now we see we live in the church age, and many Gentiles are coming to Christ. Not many Jews, but many Gentiles. Some Jews. They're not totally hardened. There are some that will be saved during this time. But there will come a time when the completion of the church age is complete. Every elected person in Christ will be saved. And the rapture will happen. And that will begin God's wooing Israel back to himself. He'll begin to use the salvation of the Gentile nations to make jealous his own people. And they will look at the Gentiles and say, wow, they have this wonderful relationship with God. He saved them. He's a mighty God. Why can't we have that? And they will look upon, a day will come when they will look upon him whom they pierced, the Bible says in Isaiah, and they will acknowledge their sin. 
And so we've been in this, and Paul says there, and so at that time, all Israel will be saved. Now, no one like God, we started this last week, and I want you to turn, because it's almost a parallel passage which speaks about the mightiness of our Lord and Savior. If you turn over to Isaiah chapter 40, because it really speaks here of the greatness of God. That text really is a side text to what we just read in Romans chapter 11. It celebrates the greatness of the God that saved us, the greatness of the God that created us, the greatness of the God who wants to know each and every one of us personally. That's why he gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to take on a human body, the incarnation of Christ, to live for 33-some years here on this earth, to experience everything that we experience Yet without sin, the Bible says. He was the perfect sacrifice offered on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins. Job 42.2, Job says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He's talking to God, by the way. We've been looking at how great our God is. There's no one like God. And I think one of the most important lessons that we can learn in our Christian life is that God is God and I am not. We have to start there. And that sounds kind of obvious, but I think we challenge that belief every time we think that God owes us something or that he is not treating us maybe as well as we deserve. We act against that that thought every time we sin, every time we violate the truth of God, every time we grumble about our circumstances. We fly in the face of it every time we get puffed up with pride. And look down upon others. Most of you remember Muhammad Ali, the great boxer. His phrase was what? I'm the greatest. Right? He thought he was the greatest. I found a quote by Muhammad Ali a little later on in life. He said, I figured that if I said it enough, I would convince the world that I really was the greatest. I don't know if he even really believed that. I heard a funny story about Ali on an airplane he was sitting in the first class section, no doubt, and the stewardess came by and said, Mr. Ali, you have to put on your seatbelt. We're about to take off. And he turned right to the stewardess in front of everybody and he said, Superman don't wear seatbelts. Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. And the smart aleck stewardess, who was pretty quick with her wits about her, replied very quick to Muhammad Ali right there in front of everybody, Listen, Superman didn't need an airplane either. (laughs) After that, Muhammad Ali fastened his seatbelt. See, pride has a way of distracting us from just how great God is. We get in the way of ourselves sometimes. We undermine it every time we question God's right to act as the Bible tells us he acted. We look at it and sometimes we say, that's not fair. It's not fair that he loved Jacob and he hated Esau. It's not right that he slaughtered all of those firstborn children in Egypt. God didn't even warn the Egyptian parents to put blood on their doorposts and lentils. It's not right that he commanded Israel to slaughter all the Canaanites, including their women and children. It's not merciful for him to strike Uzzah dead, who was only trying to help But he reached out and he touched the ark, or in modern day society. It's not right that my political candidate didn't win. 
See, we forget who's in charge here, beloved. See, all of those arrogant challenges to God's right to be God imply that the challenger knows more than God knows. And so the basic lesson is God is God and what? I am not. If you don't learn that, especially if you don't learn it before you stand before him in judgment, you will learn it then. You will learn it then, my friend. But it will be too late. The Bible says very clearly that all will bow the knee to Christ one day. All will confess him as Lord. It's better to do it now in this age of grace in which we live when he's offering free forgiveness rather than just judgment. I'd often quote Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Church, but he definitely had it right when he began his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life. I'm not saying that book's a great book. It has some good stuff in it. But I definitely agree with this statement. And here's what he wrote. As you begin that book, here's what it says. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater, listen to this, than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. That's a wonderful statement. And to understand your purpose, you must first better understand the God who created you. And so we've been looking at God's attributes. We've been looking at his perfect knowledge. Today we'll look at his profound wisdom. There's also the unsearchable judgments, the amazing ways of God. All those things are coming down the road. And we're all familiar of that story, that gospel account in Luke 19, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on what we refer to as Palm Sunday. It probably happened on a Monday. And he was hailed by the crowds, king of the Jews. Luke 19, verse 37 says, as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Verse 38, it says, They were saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In this biblical account of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, which we're very familiar with, and we've studied it over the years, so we're not going to spend a lot of time there. But you can't help see some of what we've been studying in Romans 11 right there in that passage. In verse 29 of Luke 19, it says, When he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied. Not only that, but no one has ever ridden that colt. I want you to untie it and bring it here. And by the way, if anybody asks you, What are you doing? Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. What does that speak? That speaks of the incredible knowledge of God. That God knows all. Verse 32. So those who were sent away found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, guess what happened? The owners came out and said, why are you untying this colt? Exactly like he said. And they said, the Lord has need of it. Okay. I mean, that's the incredible knowledge of God. 
That's a knowledge, as we looked at last week, that that knowledge should humble us. It should comfort us. It should encourage us to live for God and help us to pray each and every day. There's nothing that God does not see. There's nothing that God does not understand. There's nothing that God has to be taught. There's nothing that you can tell God that he doesn't already know. That's what just irritates me sometimes about some prayer meetings. Because it's like we're all informing God of things that he already knows. He already knows. And so when we stop and we think of this knowledge of God, today I want to ask you the question, what is God like? What is God like? I mean, we, we see that and we struggle with that because it's hard to explain because God is what? He's incomparable. We can't say, oh, he's like my great uncle Joe. Well, no. He can't really be compared to anything or with anything. And we've seen how his incommunicable attributes, such things as self-existence, self-sufficiency, and eternality, those are things that we can't possess. But he does have communicable attributes, qualities that he shares with us. One of those was knowledge. We looked at that last week. We can have some knowledge. God can grant us some knowledge. We don't have perfect knowledge like he does. His knowledge is infinitely greater, infinitely superior to ours. But when you stop and you think that God is omniscient, he knows all things. Think of it this way. God not only knows all things that were and are, he also knows all things that could be. That is, he knows possibilities and potentialities as well as actualities. But another thing to think about is that God is not only all-knowing, but he is, has incredible wisdom. Wisdom. What do we mean when we say that God is wise or all-wise? In our society, a lot of times, it's kind of a smart aleck comment. What, do you th- what are you, a wise guy? Trying to be a wise guy? Have you ever said that to somebody when they're being smart with you? We mean that God is omniscient, of course, since God could not be all-wise. He couldn't have wisdom if he didn't have knowledge first. But wisdom is more than just knowledge. It's more than even total or perfect knowledge. That's why it's broken down here in this verse as something different. A person can have a great deal of knowledge. A lot of us probably know a lot of people that have a lot of what we call head knowledge, right? But they don't know what to do with it. It's no practical use to them. We can know a lot, great deal about a lot of things and still be foolish in the way we use that knowledge. But without morality or goodness, wisdom is not wisdom. Without morality or goodness, wisdom, somebody who's a wise guy, we call that person a cunning individual. They're scheming. There's a lot of evil people in the world that are very intelligent and very cunning. And they use their intelligence of systems there's whole companies that make their livings, they make their, 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 their money by protecting your what? Identity. Wisdom consists in knowing what to do with the knowledge one has and directing that knowledge to the highest and moral end. The most moral end. That's what wisdom is. The wisdom we're talking about here is knowing what to do with the knowledge one has and directing that knowledge in the highest and the most moral end. Charles Hodge says that wisdom is seen in the selection of proper ends and of proper means for the accomplishment of those ends. It's a good definition. 
A.W. Tozer says this, Wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning so that there can be no need to guess or conjecture. Wisdom sees everything in focus, each in proper relationship to all, and is thus able to work toward predestined goals with flawless precision. Or J.I. Packard says the same thing, essentially. He says, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Wisdom is, in fact, the practical side of moral goodness. As such, it is found in its fullness only in God. He alone is naturally and entirely and invariably wise. His wisdom ever waketh, says the hymn, and it is true. Wisdom, as the old theologians used to say, is is his essence, just as power and truth and goodness are his essence, integral elements, that is, in his character. Omniscience, governing, omnipotence, infinite power ruled by infinite wisdom is a biblical description of the divine character. See, as soon as you begin to talk along those lines, we see why our human wisdom does not begin to compare with God's divine wisdom. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish? What? The wisdom of this world? For since... In the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The gospel message is foolishness to the unregenerate heart. And Paul takes it a step further here in understanding God's wisdom. He wants us to really dial down on this. He wants us to see what it really means that God's wisdom far exceeds our human wisdom. And he thinks of the gospel talks about the riches of God's wisdom it's not the, the the wisdom of God displayed in the ordering of creation as wonderful as that may be but he's talking about the wisdom in saving sinners such as you and I that's what he's saying and I put here three things talking about the wisdom of God in our salvation and when you think of the wisdom of God in chapters one through four and this is just kind of a little review of where we've been in Romans It speaks of the wisdom of God in justification. Includes the introduction of Paul, the analysis of man's sin, the statement of the gospel in Romans 3, and then proof of the doctrine of justification by grace through faith from the Old Testament in Romans 4. And the central portion is Paul's statement of the gospel. He wants us to understand in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, he says, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement to demonstrate his justice Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I mean, that's just an incredible thing. That's what the wisdom of God does for our justification and salvation. James Montgomery Boyce relates this little story. He said there was a, a track made by pronounced atheists. And he describes this, this track. 
He says on one page told the story of Abraham pointing out that on two occasions he had been willing to sacrifice the honor of his wife to save his own life. Yet the Bible calls Abraham a friend of God. After pointing this out, the track asks, what kind of God is he who can be friends with a cowardly man like Abraham? The next page told the story of Jacob. It said that Jacob was a cheat. He cheated his brother out of his own inheritance. Yet God condescended to refer to himself by the name of Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the the track asked this question, what kind of God is he who can identify with a scoundrel like Jacob? Next, the track listed Moses. Moses was a great leader, lawgiver. But early in the life, Moses had killed a man and buried his body in the sand, lest his deed be discovered. Yet God spoke to Moses face to face. He even called him his servant. What kind of God could speak face to face with a man who was a murderer? And the last of the atheist example was David their chief witness against God's character. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then when Bathsheba was discovered to be with child by David, David arranged the death of her husband so he could marry Bathsheba and conceal his sin. Sounds like a soap opera. Yet David is called what? A man after God's own heart. And so the atheist asked this question, what kind of a heart must God have if David the adulterer and murderer was a man who was after it? According to the atheist reasoning, the mere existence of these stories is sufficient to prove that either God does not exist or that if he does exist, he does not have a character worth admiring. An interesting thing about that track, though, is that the atheist had a good point. (laughs) And Paul acknowledges that validity in Romans chapter 3. They were saying that Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and David were sinners. Well, you know what? They were, just like you and I are. In fact, these men were far greater sinners than the atheists even imagined. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says that their hearts were deceitful and above all things and beyond cure, wicked. It could be said of them. Paul said it not only of them, but of the human race in general. In Romans 3, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands, not one. There's nobody who seeks after God. There is no one who does good, not even one, the Bible says. What these men deserved from God was hell, just like you and I do. Yet for centuries, instead of sending these depraved and godless characters to hell, God had been saving them and others like them. How could he do this? I'm not saying, did God have the power to do it? Of course he did. He's all-powerful. I'm not asking the question, shouldn't God want to do it? You can understand why he would want to save sinners. He created them. But it has to do with God's justice. How could God save such sinners and at the same time remain a just and holy God? Somebody who's done so much wrong. Paul refers to that when he says God is both the just and the one who justifies the ungodly. Since God was justifying the ungodly, It would seem that for centuries there was something like, you might say, a shadow cast over the good name of God. Oh, he's given them a pass. Why isn't he carrying out judgment? That was maybe beyond our own wisdom, but it's not beyond the wisdom of God. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5 says that it was in the fullness of time that God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Or in verse 26 of Romans 3, it says, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement 
to demonstrate his justice at the present time. This means basically that God satisfied the claims of his justice by punishing the innocent Jesus for our sins. Jesus bore the wrath of God in our place. And so the demands of God's justice were fully met out through Christ. And that justice being fully satisfied, the love of God was then free to reach out, to embrace, and to fully save the sinner. I mean, I don't know about you, but I couldn't think of a plan like that. That takes the wisdom of God. No wonder Paul cries out the depth of the riches of the wisdom of God. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.